here today is from Mark 1, 1 through 13, and, and if you look in your notes, I've got other passages. Don't worry, we're not going to read those too. Not that reading too much of the Bible is a bad thing, it's just, you know, we've got lunch here in a little while. Uh, so we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, and then we're going to reference some other passages as we walk through the sermon here today. So starting with verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Uh, well, I had to look up the date because it, it happened quite a while ago, but I, I, after I looked it up, I was able to find out that it was May 24th, 2011, when I heard the unmistakable, horrible news that I had missed the second coming of Jesus into this world. I don't know where you were on that day, but I... Very silly of me to go into work that day, and and I saw a headline that said that the whole world had missed the rapture, and and so I read the headline, and as it turns out, if you're afraid, by the way, we didn't miss anything. As it turns out, I read this article, and what had happened is there was this minister who was doing a radio program that a lot of people were listening to, and and he had prophesied that Jesus was going to return on May twenty first. 2011. So I missed it by a few days. Didn't even notice it. And, and he, had begin, he had begun to prophesy this over his radio program, and his listeners that were following him were very intent to believe him and very intent to follow him. And, and, and so a lot of them had sold everything they had. A lot of them didn't even bother to schedule a church service for that Sunday. The rapture happened on a Saturday. They said, hey, we're going to be gone anyway. We're not even going to schedule a service this Sunday. And, and it blew me away when I read this article because they had interviewed some people at a local church who were following this minister, and, and they had said that they were just in complete shock and awe because they were reading the Bible, and they were just trying to do what the Bible said. And that's, that sort of blew me away because I thought, well, hold on a minute. We know that the Scriptures tell us that, that, that only the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. Only the Father knows, so none of us know. 
And yet these people claimed that they were reading the scripture, but they were following what this man said. Something didn't add up to me. I, I just thought that was very interesting. And this is oftentimes what happens. When people get into difficult situations, when they get into difficult times in their life, they begin to look to other Christians to help guide them and to help lead them. In a way, Christians will sometimes go to who they think has a prophetic voice and listen to their instructions on what to do as a believer. Well, we're in a difficult situation here. We are in uh, six months of this global pandemic, and we're not quite sure the next decision that's going to be made about whether we're able to open up, whether we're able to do this or that. And I've been finding, as I've been looking to some of my friends, that, that we're wanting to listen to other Christians, but my fear sometimes is that there's going to be somebody who's going to swoop in and begin to say something that isn't Christian. Or they're going to swoop in and begin to say something that is not actually from God, but they claim it is. And so, looking at this passage from Mark chapter 1, I thought it would be great if we went over what does a prophet of God look like. And it, John, I think, is one of the perfect examples of this, because I don't know if you know this or not, but in John's day, they didn't really believe in prophecy. You know, back in John's day when he was coming out and prophesying about Jesus coming into this world, a lot of people were skeptical as to whether God could even speak to people at that time or if God had his own plans and was going to just unleash them on his own. And so today I'd like us to go over uh, what the ministry of John the Baptist looked like, and I want us to lay out what it looks like what does a true prophet look like who's coming from God? Now, for the purposes of this message, this is my definition of prophecy for this message here today. Anyone that claims to preach or teach the truth of God. So if somebody is coming to you and they claim that they have the truth of God that they want to share with you, for today's message, we're going to consider that person a prophet of God. And, and I want us to walk through and see what kind of character did John have, and what kind of character should we expect out of prophets from God? So the first point that we get here out of Mark chapter 1 is a true prophet is going to be grounded in Scripture. A true prophet is going to be grounded in Scripture. We see this in all four Gospels, in, in Mark 1, Matthew 3, Luke 3, and John chapter 1. Each one of them, the writers are indicating that John's ministry is not his own ministry, but it's a ministry that's been established by the Word of God. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the writers of those Gospels are writing out that John came to baptize people, and they refer back to Isaiah chapter 40. So these writers are looking at John's ministry saying, okay, John is coming and he's telling us about a Messiah that's going to come and, and he's telling us what we need to do. You know what? This sounds like Isaiah chapter 40. And they go back and they study that and then they made the connection to John. But not only that, in the book of John, some people are asking him, hey, what kind of ministry are you doing? Are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets of the Old Testament? They even asked, are you the Messiah that's coming into this world? And John himself 
has established his ministry in the scripture, and he says, no, 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 I'm none of that. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that's expected. I am simply a voice that is preparing for you to receive the Messiah. And what we need to know about John is John wasn't a dummy. John was born into a household of priests. In fact, John's father, Zechariah, was the high priest the year that he was born. And so as John grew up, he would have been surrounded by Scripture, and he would have been raised in that same understanding of Scripture that his father was raised in. And so John is not just cherry-picking passages from the Old Testament and saying, oh, I really like this verse of the Old Testament. This is the ministry that I want to do. No, John has grown up with the Scriptures, and he studies them, and he's intent on praying over them. And after that, he then is able to see where God is calling his ministry. So a true prophet in this world is going to be one that is grounded in Scripture. He's going to be one that, that, that not only just gives you a verse that they've memorized, but he has actually studied it. He's actually prayed over it. He actually wants it to apply to you and your life. Being grounded in Scripture is incredibly important for preaching, but it's also important for you. As you're listening to other preachers, as you're reading books that are proclaiming the truth of God, be sure that you are grounded in Scripture. Because you'll be amazed as you read through the Scripture and as you hear others and they're preaching through the Scripture, you'll be able to line those up. You'll be able to say, hey, I read that the other day, and that's what I took from the Scripture. Now this guy is preaching this. This is lining up. I see where this is connected. Be sure that you're grounded in the Scripture so that you know who to follow. The second is that a true prophet is going to preach repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? Very simply, repentance means that you're going in this direction, and you stop, and you go in that direction. It's very simple. You're headed this way, repent, turn around, go the other way. And so that's the message that John is preaching to his people. As he's preaching that Jesus is going to come into the world, he is recognizing that how the people are living is sinful. How the people are living is not right. And so John is concerned that if they keep living this way and Jesus shows up, they're going to miss him. They're not going to be there when Jesus arrives because they're going to be too busy in their own lives. There was one time I was taking a friend home from, from our youth ministry, and, and I had what I believed was a great car. It was a 1994 Ford Taurus, and I thought that car could get through anything. And so I was going to ch- take a shortcut, and I, and I started to go down a road, and my friend said, you don't want to go down this road. I said, no, no, this thing can handle anything. It's got six things and, uh, and p- pistons. There we go. And uh, not a mechanic. So, but, but my friend was intent. You don't want to go down this road. Your car cannot handle it. And I said, no, no, we can do it. We can go down this road. And the entire time, every inch of the way, she was shouting at me and the voice was getting louder and louder. This is a seasonal road. Turn around. And there got to be a point where I, all of a sudden it set in like, hey, I think she's right here. I think if we go any farther, we're going to get stuck. So I stopped the car, and I began to back up. 
and I got out of there before things got any worse. That's the voice that John had to his people. You guys are not doing good. You need to stop and turn around. You need to quit sinning. In today's world, we need that kind of voice that is able to proclaim, this is wrong. And, and it's a proclamation that is very interested in the individual that we're preaching to. Because we're not just saying, that's sin, that's wrong, you're not allowed to do it. What we're saying is, if you go in this direction, you're going to die. If you head in this direction anymore, life is not going to be good for you. We need to be able to proclaim that this is the wrong way and this is the right way. So a true prophet is going to be able to preach in a way that, that you listen and say, oh, I need to stop doing this. One of the best compliments I ever got preaching at our last church is, is uh, somebody came up to me and said, you know, Pastor, you, you've got great messages I just I always feel hurt when, when you're done with them. But it's a good kind of hurt. And I had to really think about that for a moment, but what she was getting at is she said, I understand at the end of these messages that I need to stop doing something and start doing something else. Because if you want to grow in God, if you want to turn to Him, you have to turn away from something. And so we need to be ready to listen for those calls to stop going in the direction of sin and start going in the direction of God. Not only that, this is point three, a true prophet is going to preach forgiveness. So not only do we have a message that preaches this direction is wrong, you need to turn away, but we also preach that when we turn away, we turn to Jesus who forgives. Jesus forgives any sin, all sin. He's not just willing to do it, he's able to do it. And that's part of the message that we preach. John preaches this when he's baptizing people. Uh, all three of us, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all say that, that when he came and was baptizing, he was preaching a message of repentance for forgiveness. So that when people turn from the way that they were going, they were able to turn to God and be forgiven for anything that they had done. A message without forgiveness, so a message that's just about repentance, that's just about the sinfulness of the world and just about the sinfulness of you, but there's no offer to be forgiven of that sinfulness, that's condemnation. That's just simply someone preaching that you're going to go to hell. And we preach more than that. We preach that there is forgiveness, that there is hope, that there is life in Jesus Christ. So be on the lookout for messages that not only preach away from something, but preach toward forgiveness. Point number four, the messages should offer a new way of life. This is found in, in Luke three ten through 14. Uh, not only is John baptizing, not only are people confessing their sins and being forgiven of their sins, they then ask, well, what do we need to do now? Okay, so, so we're repenting, we're not going to do the things we did before, and we know we're forgiven, we know that God forgives us, but now what do we do? We've only known this life, what other life is there out there? And he begins to instruct the people on how to live. 
He tells some people, if you have more than enough, give to your neighbor. He tells the soldiers, do your duty and don't take advantage of people uh, uh, in your jurisdiction. He tells the tax collectors, uh, collect only what the empire requires of you. Don't collect any more. Don't cheat people out of their money. So John is not just offering this message of repentance and forgiveness. He is now discipling another person. He is now discipling other people. This is what we need to look out for, that when somebody is preaching, they're also giving directions on holy living. I heard a story from a missionary back when I was, I think I was in high school some time ago, and, and he was ministering in a country, and, and I, I totally forget what country or anything. All I remember is that they had outlawed Christianity, and, and he said he had snuck away uh, to begin to read the scripture and do a devotion, and a soldier had caught him doing that. And, and so he thought, man, I'm, I'm arrested, I'm going to jail. And, and the soldier actually stopped and said, you know, what are you reading? And was actually interested in Christianity, and because he was alone, he knew it was safe to ask this pastor. So this pastor began to witness to him. And sure enough, the, the soldier was saved and was ready to start following Jesus, but then said, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? And the missionary had, had his Bible, and, and the missionary said that was like his lifetime Bible. It had all of his notes in it. It had everything since the day he became a Christian, but it was all he had, and it's what the soldier needed. And so he gave it to the soldier and said, uh, begin to read these books and, and start to read it every day and began to give him direction on how to live as a Christian. This is what we're called to do. We're called to not only preach repentance, preach forgiveness, but then also be there for the person that we've preached to and offer them direction on how to live as a Christian. And by the way, that's going to go on as long as we're Christians. We're going to hear the message of repentance. We're going to turn away from it. We're going to be forgiven. We're going to be offered a new way of living. This is what we should be looking for in a true prophet, somebody that is willing to preach these things and also be available for people in discipling them. Point number five. This one is a, is a little anecdotal, but, but I thought it was important to just touch on it a little bit. A, a prophet from God is probably going to be a little weird. Now, now, that's not to say that every weird person you meet is automatically a prophet from God, okay? So there's some boundaries here. And that's also not to say that everybody who preaches the word of God and is anointed to preach is going to turn out to be weird. But there are going to be some aspects that you're going to run into and you're going to go, eh, that's a little goofy. That's, boy, they're, you know, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't even know how, that, that's kind of the conversation you're going to have. And here's the reason why. Their mind, their heart is going to be so focused on God that you're going to look at that and go, boy, that's a little odd. It's just, it's a little odd that they're doing these things. Well, it's because that person is so intent on listening to God, they're not going to be thinking of anything else. When I was a kid, I saw a picture of Albert Einstein. And, and if you've ever seen a picture of him, it he looks goofy. We can all admit it. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, you know, his, his hair is a little crazy. In some pictures, his buttons are off. 
in some pictures you can see that he's wearing different socks. And, and I actually just read a story that, that somebody in his family was sick of him doing that and so finally decided that before he left the house, they were going to begin to groom him, which is why you see some pictures of Albert Einstein looking goofy, and then later in his life he looks normal and well-kept. It's because somebody in the family said, you're embarrassing us, put on different socks, button that up better. But I had asked my dad, why, why, is he, why does this guy, who's like the smartest guy to ever live, why does he look so goofy? Well, it was because he was so focused on his scientific work, what does it matter if he's wearing different socks? What does it matter if the buttons don't match? This dude was working on the theory of relativity and something where light bends around stuff. I don't even know. I got the same socks on, but I don't know what his work is. The same goes with a prophet from God. They're going to be so focused on God in the scriptures that there's going to be something that you feel is missing. And what I would say is that might be a little bit of the world that's missing from their life because they're so focused on God and what God is saying to them to say to us. So don't shut somebody out just because they're a little weird. It may, be, it may come with the whole package. Point number six. They live as a humble servant of Jesus Christ. This is a very important point that we need to walk away with. In Mark, Matthew, and Luke, as John is preaching that Jesus is coming, here's how he refers to Jesus. One is coming whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Let that sink in for a moment. Who was the last person in your life that you let untie your shoes and take them off? That, that is a business that, that you do on your own. The only people in Jesus' day that took sandals off were servants. You would walk into somebody's home and you would sit down and they would help you take off your sandals, they would wash your feet and then allow you to come into the household. John is looking at the life of Jesus, he knows who Jesus is, and he says, he is coming and I'm not even worthy to be a servant in his household to help him untie his shoes and wash his feet. There was nothing below servant. There was nothing below servant in that day. And John says, I'm not even worthy to follow the one that is coming. Be weary of somebody that speaks very boldly, but doesn't live as a humble servant of Jesus. It, it, it always blows me away when I, when I meet these teachers and professors at our Wesleyan colleges and, and we begin to talk about the work that they've done. Uh, I had one teacher. His whole work was in the book of Matthew. That was it. Forty years of teaching the book of Matthew, and he started a class by saying, I've been about 40 years in the book of Matthew, and I think I understand it. Okay, see ya. You know, I, I'll just quit the class now. But there was a humbleness about this teacher, even though he had spent that long in the Gospels, he knew how little he actually knew about Jesus. He knew his place in Jesus' life. A true prophet is going to live in such a humble manner that you recognize, that they recognize 
where they're at in Jesus' life. Point number seven, a true prophet is going to share his vision with everyone. There's not going to be any withholding. There's not going to be any secrecy. There is going to be an open proclamation to everyone that is willing to listen. We get this from John chapter 1, verse 32, uh, as, as the people are questioning John and as the people are wondering what John has done with Jesus and baptizing him. John makes this proclamation. He says, when I baptize Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when I baptize Jesus, I saw a dove descend out of heaven and land on him, and I heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So this is a vision that John sees, and, and, and what we can expect out of this is that John sees this, and it's a confirmation from God to John that the person he just baptized is, in fact, the Messiah, the one who's coming to save the world. But then when people ask, what did you see, John is not withholding of it. John doesn't say, okay, well, I see a crowd here and you're all asking me, okay, who got baptized and who didn't? Okay, you baptize people, you come with me. Uh, you sinners that didn't repent, you, you stay in the back. I got something to share with these people. John shared his vision openly with everyone that was around, with everyone that was willing to listen to it. As Christians, we don't believe in secrecy. We don't believe in, in hidden visions. We don't believe that, that there's some ladder that you have to ascend before God will really give you a vision. We believe that God speaks to all of his people. And so a true prophet is going to share that with everyone. I was really taken aback when, when I heard an interview of somebody who had escaped the, the Scientology cult. And what she said is that she had spent years trying to ascend their ladder and try to get to the top so that she can see the vision that all of these great leaders have supposedly seen. And I sat back and I thought, man, you spent all of those years climbing that ladder to get to nothing when we would have get, you know, we have a vision right here <laughs> at the bottom run of the ladder. We preach to everyone and anyone, so a true prophet is going to share that vision with anyone who will listen. And then finally, point number eight, and, and, and I'll say this is the most important point. If all the others are met, and, and you seem to be finding, okay, this person is really seeming like a John the Baptist kind of prophet, but point number eight is missed. You've got something wrong. Point number eight, Jesus is the focus. In John 1, 35 through 37, uh, John is walking with his disciples, and, and he sees Jesus off in the distance. So this is after Jesus' baptism, after the vision that he sees that Jesus is the Son of God. He sees Jesus off in the distance, and he says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God. Very simple statement, but what he's telling his disciples is, look, that over there is the Son of God. That teacher over there is going to save the world. And two of his disciples heard that, and they left and wanted to follow Jesus. As a kid, I always felt bad for John. You know, as a kid, I thought, oh, you know, two of his students left? That's kind of mean of them. I don't, you know. But then as you look at the life of John, 
That's what John was trying to get them to do. John had his own disciples that were following him, and when he said, behold the Lamb of God, really what he's doing is he's looking at his disciples and he says, hey, I don't know why you're still following me. The Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world is right over there, and he's got open enrollment in his classes. You can apply right now and be one of his students. And two of the students went and followed. John's focus, his entire ministry, had nothing to do with him. John, John was not looking at making more students. He wasn't working at, at trying to make a better life for himself. John was focused on anyone that he spoke to being focused on Jesus. His entire ministry was about preaching the person of Jesus Christ and, and calling people to be in a relationship with him. So where do we go from here? Well, it's really easy to sit back, I think, and say, uh, this is what we need to look for in a prophet from God. But I think what we really need to do with this list is, is sit back and realize this is what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to be grounded in the Scripture. We're called to study the Scripture. We're called to know the Scripture through and through. We have a duty as Christians that if we're followers of Jesus, we're going to be preaching that message of repentance, forgiveness, and a new way of life to everyone we know. Basically, as Christians, we have a calling to prophesy in this world. We have a calling to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ that we would be like John, that, and I've said this before in my messages, that, that we would follow Jesus so closely that people would look at us and, look at us and go, man, they're a little strange. Man, they, they get up early for church on Sunday? That's goofy. But we are called as Christians to be prophets in this world, to preach a message of repentance, forgiveness, a new way of life, We're called to follow Jesus. We're called to live humbly before him. And we're called to point people in his direction. Let's pray. God, thank you for this calling that you've given us in our life. And and Lord, I pray that that as we leave here today, that that you would give us that strength, that you would give us that, that direction and guidance to be able to proclaim your truth in this world. Lord, we pray that you would go out with us, that you would bless us here today and the week that follows, that this day would be a preparation for us to be your servants in this world. We pray this all in your name. Amen.